This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message today is Fixing Our Eyes Upon Jesus. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, I think most of us have heard the terminology of the eyes are the window of the soul. Well, when I hear that phrase, I think of, I do think of truth. If you can look into someone's eyes, you can see what types of things. Seriously, I'm asking a real question. You look into someone's eyes, what are some things, don't just make them up, think on even this past week, when you've looked into someone's eyes, what did you see? Pain? Fear? fear, fear sadness, anger? Weariness. weariness? Which a Hebrew for weary is a very interesting word as well, but it is the destruction or removal of light. So when Satan wearies us, he's removing light. He's blocking the light from coming directly to us. And we get weary. Now, if you look at the eyes or the window of the soul, what about what's on the inside looking out? See, I don't think of that part very often. And particularly if Jesus Christ lives inside my mortal body, He lives inside my soul, and He's looking out through these windows? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Now think about this. It's really Jesus looking at Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is put inside born-again people when they get saved. It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit looking out through the windows and seeing a person. Or seeing Jesus in another person. Spirit bearing witness with spirit. So fixing our eyes upon Jesus has absolutely nothing to do with our own minds. It has everything to do with the mind of Christ in you. And that's how we have to look at this passage this morning. So what I want to do is our Hebrew word picture. So if I can have my little uh, Hebrew kids come up. So we can act out our Hebrew. Now, even though Gracie has a picture of a cow, I couldn't find a picture of an ox. Okay, so Gracie's going to be first. And you show him the picture of our cow, which is really an ox. Okay? And then we need our picture of the fire. What does fire do? Okay? And then we have our picture of, not just water, hold your picture up. That's very, very strong water. Okay? So here is our Hebrew word picture. We have ox, and then we have fire, fire, and then we have water. What kind of water? Weeds. What kind of water? Strong water. Strong water. (laughs) So that's our Hebrew word picture, and that is... Strong ox with fire and strong water. Okay? 
Now I'll explain it. Kids, you can sit down. Thank you. The ox, these are the original symbols from pictorial Hebrew. You can literally see the ox's head with the horns. Now the earliest inscriptions that we are able to find, this is what you're going to see. So I actually looked at the inscription on stone and I rewrote them on the computer for you. They are exact. These are modern Hebrew symbols is what you're going to read today. To learn modern Hebrew, it is extremely difficult. But to read pictorial Hebrew, it's extremely easy. This is actually a picture in a picture showing us what man has done to God's communication. God originally communicated with visual pictures, which is why I almost always teach with pictures, is because we think in pictures. We don't think in abstract symbols that man has created to try to create a picture. But I have to make the connection between ancient and modern so that when you do see these symbols, you obviously know, wow, that is the symbol of an ox. And you will actually be able to read some of the modern Hebrew and see some of the original things that God was communicating. So we have ox, we have fire, and then we have water. Fire is also, that symbol is also used for teeth. So when you hear someone talk about a Hebrew word picture using teeth, they are also using the, the symbol for fire. Okay? The basic uh, word that is associated with that symbol is destruction. Chewing something or burning something up. Water has several meanings that are connected to it. We've used several different meanings from the Hebrew word water. But this is almost like a lake or an ocean where you get the base of the ocean and you get the strong waves on top. How these words, these symbols are put together describes the strength of Hebrew words. So here's what we have. We have a strong ox destroying water is what it looks like. But in Hebrew, if you put fire and water together, you have name. You have the most powerful statement, word, picture known to mankind. Fire and water together in the Hebrew is the strongest of the strongest statement you can make. And it means name. Now the reason why this is so significant, if we fast forward into Proverbs, Solomon said that a name is worth more than gold and silver. Just for man. To have a good name is worth more than all the riches in the world. In other words, it is the number one thing that we need over anything else is a good name. But this is communicating the name, the I am. So, a strong ox name is the fire that destroys the name. 
enemy and also the word Satan in the Old Testament, Hebrew, is fire that comes out of destruction. One of the names, interesting enough, that Satan has is sin. But you won't, sin is Greek, so you won't find the word sin, you find the word shin in the Old Testament, but it is destructive, it is, it is evil, it is trying, he is trying to destroy the name of God. So when we're going to talk today about the sin that we get so easily entangled in, we're not just talking about a bad habit of swearing or something. We, we are talking about, uh, even in the Greek, the entanglement means snake. It's like a snake that is, is tangled in around your, your ankles and you're not able to move. So this is a very, very critical uh, word that needs to be understood in regard to the foundation of man, the foundation of the enemy, and what the foundation of the enemy, and now the foundation of man being born in sin, is trying to do with, with the name. So now let's... Uh, take a look at our scriptures again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses around surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, baggage, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our windows, our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith as the little guy said, who for the joy set before him endureth the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now let's break this down a little bit. We have got to take a look at exactly what baggage we have first. These are the, the only categories that are found in the New Testament. The only four profiles known in the New Testament. We're all born into sin. And we're going through life. And some people have this introduction at seven years of age. Some have it at 16 like I did. Some have it at 89 but they have their moment of reckoning. Some flip God the finger and say, I am not going to acknowledge you as God. I have destroyed your name in my life. Sin takes you to the grave. You will suffer forever because of that destruction of the name. This person sees the cross coming. Oh, they hear him preaching Jesus. They hear him talking about him. They, they're getting, you know, tracks are being given to them. Knocking on the door. The pastor wants to talk to They see it coming. And what do they do? And they know it. They purposely avoid the preachers and the teachers and the cousin and the sister and the brother and the whatever. But if God has chosen you to be saved you will be 
And God will sooner or later turn that 89-year-old man to the point of knowing, reckoning, and applying the cross in his life through Jesus Christ and he will get saved and find out who he is in Christ all at one time. The odds of this, this guy living another two years is probably a no. He may have another ten. We don't know. But, watching God's pattern throughout the generations, we classically see the goal and objective is first salvation and second identity in Christ. And once you truly start embracing your identity in Christ, oftentimes he just takes you out. Not always, because obviously he leaves some around to preach that message to others so that they may have the other side of the cross. You see, this is Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. This is I died on the cross with him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, Steve Finney, do not live, but the life of Christ who lives in me. There is the front side of the cross, and there's the back side of the cross. Many people are to be taught the two of those at the same time, but rarely does it happen. I got saved at 16 and I was not introduced to being crucified with Christ until I met my mentor Chuck Solomon. We hope they get it together, but rarely do they. I'm telling you, this is critical when you're discipling someone. Because if they just check the box that I got saved, that's great for the ticket on the train. But it does nothing for how they live. This is to give you life. This is to give you how to live. The scripture that has been given to us this morning is for believers. It's for Christians. And we're to look down at these snakes around our feet. We're believers. And we're the only way to get out of that is to fix our windows upon Jesus. It's the only way. Because darkness is pushed away through light. And it's gathered in through darkness. The second type of person comes to the cross and they actually get saved. So, using my own life as an example, at 16 years of age, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And and I've been told that the preacher led me to Christ still uses me as an example to this very day in his preaching of the young man who knocked on his door for salvation. That's how desperate I was for salvation. But I had no one to disciple me. So I did okay for about a year. And then I spun off and got hooked on drugs. And other things I'll never mention. And I'm supposedly saved. You see, because of not being discipled and someone showing me the power of the cross in my life, I am led astray. I get snakes around my feet. And I'm constantly falling over every time I get up and try to take my first Step in Christ Jesus. So I take the long way around. I am a Christian, but I'm walking after my flesh. So I need to be introduced to the fact that my old identity is being brought to an end, and my new identity in Christ is what I'm to live by. The eyes of Christ within me. It's not my mind, it's not my choices. 
It's not how I've decided to live. It is Christ in me who does the living. Complete different thing that's taught in 99% of the churches today. Most churches are teaching you how to work hard for Jesus in your mind. Not let Christ do the living through you. He is your eyes. He is your light. Eyes mean light in Hebrew. And it is light. It's what reveals light. You can look in someone's eyes and see light and life. Light and life are the same thing in Hebrew. So, the next one is the Laodicean. These are absolutely the worst kind of people in the world to deal with. And it just so happens the world is just cluttered with them. These are Glenn Becks, and I'm not going to be ashamed to mention his name because this man needs, we need to warn the body of Christ about this man. He is a Mormon bishop. He has been, actually, it's been announced by Salt Lake City that he is the prophet. And this man is dangerous to the body of Christ because he presents himself and says he is a Christian. That's this type. You can talk to them all day long about the cross and they will agree with you. But see, when they came up against the cross, they literally tasted the cross on their tongue. This is what Hebrews talks about, and they tasted and rejected, and they can never come to repentance again. These are the people that Paul's talking about. They, they literally taste the gospel, but they don't devour it, they don't swallow it. So they taste, they're right there, and they're getting it all in their mouth, and they're like, oh, Christianity is great! I'm going to make a video on them. I'm going to write a book about them. I'm going to start a talk show. But that is not Christianity. There's no light in them. There's no possession. They are living off of the reflection of other Christians. They have to be around Christians to act Christian. Do you understand that? And when they're not around a Christian, they don't act Christian. That is evidence that they are Laodicean. Whenever you are with someone who's different with a Christian than they are when they're not with a Christian is evidence they are Laodicean. They're not here. They are Laodicean. They need to be around Christians to get the reflection going. They can talk the lingo. They can walk it. They can smell it. They can reflect it. But they're not. The greatest way to find out who a man is is in the privacy of his own soul. So this person has to be brought to the point is the same as this one. But see, this one is so deceived because they actually think they're saved. So when you present the gospel message to them, they're like, I've done that when I was six. Really? Well, the Bible says, I have four things I'm to watch about you. Your deeds, know them by their love, know them by their fruit, and endurance. I don't see you good at any of those. Well, I struggle with my Christian walk. No, you struggle with not having one. There's not struggling with your Christian walk. You don't have one. And if I'm wrong, God will reveal that I'm wrong by you manifesting all four of those. Prove me wrong. But see, he can't or she can't 
maintain Christ-like behavior very long on their own. Because it's fake. It's plastic fruit from Walmart. And they super glue it on and they look, smell. They don't taste like real Christians, but they have the full appearance of Christianity. This is where we're at today in our world. There are churches all over the world that are nothing more than emergent, lukewarm. God still is in those churches, contrary to some people's beliefs. Pick an emergent church and God is in there doing exactly what he said he would do and exactly what he did do in the seven churches. Jesus himself came and spoke to each of the seven churches and he warned them. He said, some of you still hold to, and then he would explain what their error is versus the truth they hang on to. He doesn't write off emergent churches. The Joel Olsteins and the Rob Bells and the, all these kinds of emergent leaders, there are true, born-again Christians inside those churches that God moves and breathes through to tell the message of truth. To say to some of those guys, I don't think you're saved. I'm not afraid to say that. I've had people say to me, who do you think you are, God? And I go, no, but I know him. And he told me to watch for four things. And you can waver in the four things throughout your life, but I'll always see the four things to some level of manifestation. So if all four of them are into a negative zone, I can safely say what God said to Paul to tell me, you shall know them by their fruit, by their deeds, by their love, and by their endurance. Why did he tell us that we need to know them? So that we can profile them. So that when we read scriptures, we can, we can look at what kind of baggage is around our, our ankles. Do you know what ambivalence is? Q, what's ambivalence? Ambivalence is hatred. Bivoli is a lethargic existence. It's like trying to counsel someone on medicine. You can't get conviction out of them, and you can't, they're just kind of, pharmakia, what does pharmakia mean in the Greek? Huh? Pharmakia is, pharmakia means demonic oppression in the Greek. (laughs) So you can see why the the, the enemy is going to go the route in direction of medicines for Mind problems. When in God's just trying to say, your mind is sick. You need my son's mind in you. Philippians 2 2. So, the, back when I first started preaching against pharmakia, there was, we could barely get percentages out of the church. Then I was a part of a Christian psychiatric program for quite a few years who tried to teach the opposite of using medicine as the answer. So we started surveying the churches. We literally watched the percentages grow within just five years. From a percentage that we could barely measure to when I left the organization, the church, and this was in the Southern Baptist churches that we were surveying, 
35% of the congregational members sitting in the pews were on psychotropic or antidepressant type of drugs. 35%. I would be afraid to hear the statistics today. Of how many people use medicine, pharmacia, actually using a snake to sedate. And it works, by the way. Zono land. I don't think of my problems. You need to think about your problems. So here's we let's break our verse down. Hebrews twelve one. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses. Well who in the world are these witnesses? Seriously, that, that passage harassed me as a young Christian. Doesn't now. There's a friend of mine that has a painting in his office. It's kind of spooky. There's not a scary face in the painting. But it is two people ministering over a table, like we do in our counseling office. Just two. But Jesus is there. And this host of witnesses. And in the painting, there's like hundreds of faces watching what's going on in this counseling session. Yeah. We have not 15 people... Not 40 people, not 500 people in in these churches on Sunday mornings. We have absolutely millions of witnesses observing whether Steve Finney or the next guy or gal is going to present the truth. And when a host of witnesses bears witness with the truth coming out of Finney's mouth because they know the Spirit by lifestyle because they are a host of witnesses. They know where to join God at His work. So to get into our study of joining God where God is at work, we need to understand some basic factors. So a cloud is a gathering of vapors. That's Greek. wasn't anything too complicated. Which makes up, all these tiny little vapors, makes up a beautiful looking cloud. But if we were to zoom in and keep zooming in to a cloud, you are going to see these individual vapor molecules that have space in between them all, But they are all in agreement to stay a certain uh, distance from each other to form an image. So because someone on earth is going to be laying under a tree staring at the clouds going, isn't God beautiful? Isn't he awesome? And all the little vapors are going, don't move. Not yet. We're praising God. This is the image that is being projected for us in this this passage. There's a whole cloud over your prayer time. Even the times when you choose to sin, fall by the snakes about your feet. So then we go on and we read witnesses. The Greek is those who observe and record. Now I really dug into this one because I wanted to find out if after this was all cross-referenced out, if it really did mean record, I get the observe part. I got this cloud in my counseling office and in this cloud are these host of witnesses. Okay, I get that. It's a little weird for me to think about, but I get it. 
But recording, like you guys are recording the sermon? Excuse me? Well, there was one connection that kind of blew my mind to this passage. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of man is recorded in the book of life. Well, I've had a question for many years. Who's doing the recording? Is it just the Holy Spirit just busy recording all day long? I'm going to leave the illustration there because I don't want an illustration to get up and walk away. But I'm telling you, from the Greek, it means they observe and record. And that is enough for me to have full understanding of this passage we're talking about. From the Hebrew, it is to see the door. The eye sees the door. Which you can add other Hebrew words to that, either to defend the door or to invite in. Hospitality. Host, come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who hears my voice will, yeah, I will come in and dine with you. So God's terminology is a lot about houses and doorways and seeing, windows, hospitality. So much of God's talk is around hospitality. Surrounding actually means in this passage to hamper. So that adds kind of a new dimension to these godly hosts that are watching us. They're actually supposed to hamper Now, most believe these hosts are not humans, they're angels. We don't know, actually. I do believe that once you die and go to heaven, you're not given the right to come back and check out humans here on earth, but, you know, that is an assumption on any Christian's part, but even just focusing on the heavenly beings, the angels, is enough, certainly for me, so, this hampering is to, it's like filling this room with all pure Christians walking after the Spirit. And then you drop one evil person in the crowd? They won't survive. I've seen them with labored breathing to breaking out in sweats to turn them white on you just by being in the presence of a room full of Christians. Because we have power. We have light. And darkness tends to run when it's around light. So this is a hampering thing. It's helping us. To have a host of witnesses is helping us. Number four, encumbrance, which means burden, weight, load. Therefore, since we have such a great gathering of observers and recorders, we are being hampered to continue in our sin and we are being encouraged to lay our burden aside. Whatever it is that's weighing us down, that load. Remember the passage where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you? Do you realize that when you get up and leave this room today, the load you'll have on your shoulders 
is heavier than the load that Jesus Christ, the Son of the I Am, carries on his shoulders. The one we pray to and believe in and call our husband, Savior, Redeemer, and all 223 other names, has less of a load on his shoulders than you do. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke is a, is a burden. It is what's over the ox's neck that has the weights on it. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, for it is light. You see, Jesus had a connection with what he was here for. He was consistently aware of the snakes about his feet the earthy things that entrap. And he was quick to step out and around them or to crush them under his feet so that he can fulfill the rest of this passage. So, sin, as we talked about before, is failure or falling short in the, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament is what destroys the name then we have entangles stand up around like a snake around the feet. So it doesn't just like stay there. It wants to consume. It wants to take more of you until you can't even stand up anymore. Sin is very, very heavy. It's an extremely heavy yoke. And then endurance in the Greek is patience, perseverance, and being steady. So now, if we put all of this together, here is what we're going to get. Because of the fact that we, true indwelt Christians, and I want to clarify something, particularly for people who are listening online, because Christianity is a term that I refuse to use anymore until I die. When I use the term, I'm going to use the term to describe classic Christianity. But I refuse to join the movement that Christian means following Christ, which proves you're a, you are a indwelt Christian. It does not. There are Christ followers in every denomination. There are Christ followers in Christian schools. There are Christ followers all over the world who worship other gods. The new Christlam movement that has blended Muslim and Christianity, which our very own president has joined, and this, Obama, this uh, Oprah thing that the young man was talking about earlier, that religion that they say Oprah started... She didn't start it, by the way. Malcolm X was the very first to speak of it. But it is Chrislam. It is blending the white and the black together to form this blending of the Muslim and the Christian faiths. So they can say, I've been born again, as our president said at a prayer conference just a few weeks ago. And then in an interview after the prayer conference, he said, I am Muslim. How can that be? This is how that is. They call themselves Christian, but they are not indwelt Christians. 
So in my writings and in my verbiage, you'll hear me say indwelt Christians. Because what that communicates is I have actually had a born again experience. The Holy Spirit is living inside my mortal body. The term indwelt is a New Testament Greek term. We have to have the life in Christ, the life of Christ in us or we're not true Christians. But there are millions and millions of Christians walking the face of the earth who are Mormon, who are Muslim, who are Buddhist. Because Christ doesn't mean Jesus. You understand that? Christ does not mean Jesus. It means global leader, Messiah, controller. So when the anti-Christ comes, he will be a Christ. So if you have 99.9% of the population Christian, because the religions keep blending but they're going to use Christian as the primary term because Satan wants to replicate Christ, Jesus, like the moon. Therefore, we got to be real careful when we're explaining things to people. I would encourage you, stop using Christianity and then add indwelt to it as one word. Indwelt Christian. Because people are going to say, well, what do you, how, can you, how can you break it up like that? Then you can explain it. I was meeting with the president of a college a while back. And we were talking about this spiritual formation stuff. And I said, do you believe this, this school is a Christ-centered institution? And he said, absolutely. I said, do you believe this is a Jesus-centered institution? He said, and right just as quick as the first question, absolutely not. And he didn't even catch it. Do you understand what's happening to our churches today? You can go on mission fields and put up houses without mentioning Jesus Christ and how to become an indwelt Christian. Satan, I believe, is going to be the king of foreign missions. He rushes. He is rushing to Japan right now to help people. Because he wants to be known as a beneficiary. A messiah. A healer. A helper. A Christian. A Christ follower. Of course he's a Christ follower. Christ means messiah. Indwell sets us up for the question of what... What indwells you? The life of Christ. Jesus indwells me. So because of the fact that we, true indwelt Christians, have a host of heavenly beings recording our every move, it would be wise of us to set aside all of our shortcomings that insult the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus who is the world leader, the Messiah, the Controller. For if we don't, these sins will entangle us like snakes around the ankles. Instead, we should go through life with an attitude of winning the race. 
You see, if those guys that wear those um, garb at the Olympics that hand out the medals and are in their suits and and their little badges and whatever, and they walked up to you and just gave you the gold medal before you ran the race? Well, how would you feel? Seriously. I mean, it would be great to have a gold medal without even trying. But see, humans want to go, well, I haven't run the race yet. I haven't earned it. Oh, yeah, yes, you have. Because someone ran the race for you and won, and that made you a winner, so you get the gold medal. That is what Paul is telling the Hebrew people. The race has been won. Christ is not into medals. So he says, you wear the medal and show the people so you can explain to them you too can have a gold medal without running the race. But there's a little twist here. He still wants us to be in the race of life and finish with endurance. You don't even have to think about first place anymore. It's just finishing the race. Whether you die halfway through the race or you die clear on the other end and you're 89 years of age and pretty much fulfilled everything God ever told you to. It completely changes our focus on performance, on reward system, on being driven every single day. Next portion of this passage, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, fixing from the Greek means to make sit down. Now, I really want to emphasize this. Fixing your eyes or fixing anything is not a proactive action of achievement. It's this. You're resting. And the eyes aren't darting anymore. They're resting upon something. You're causing something to rest. When you fix your eyes upon Jesus, you have to stop and rest. Your eyes will just Rest upon what you're looking at. Whatever your eyes see is what you will become. If your eyes are set on gold, you will become driven for gold. If your eyes are set upon Jesus Christ, you'll be driven in the life of Jesus Christ. That's how it works. If if your eyes see doubt and confusion and worry in someone else, that is that is what you'll be driven in every single day. You will become what the eyes fix on. That's what Paul's telling us. And you'll get all the way through your life and you'll say, what's it all worth? You know, we, we planted a few things, we destroyed a few things, we, we what, what's it worth? See, Europe went through this. There was a great movement of God. 
from that movement is not the church we see today. There was a movement in God, and from that movement, a bunch of Christians decided to build some big fancy buildings. Because they looked at what they saw happening and they said, we need to build cathedrals, monuments to God, and move these people from the football field over into this cathedral. And they did. They spent billions of dollars through the generations building these cathedrals. And labor, that when you look at one of these cathedrals, you may go, wow, I bet it took a lot to build that. People died building these structures. For the sake of what? They're all empty. Because we provoke God to do what he did to Babylon. Every time you build a superstructure to house your excitement, you're going to reverse the initial thing or person that created the excitement. The body of Christ is designed to move this way, not this way. We're already given the medal for that. It's to move this way. There's no way the world could control it. But keep it in a cathedral and you go do your own research. What you're going to find is after those buildings got built and they put their Christians in the buildings, one, they're an easy place to target, burn people down, up. Two, the government took, came in and turned them into state churches. Never happened to America, I guarantee you. Wrong. It's called a 501c3. You cannot even function in a church design without a government license, from their opinion. They took the cathedral concept and turned it into policy. Those things, if you set your eyes upon them, that's what drives the church ultimately. You've got to keep funding that building. You've got to keep funding that. Everything needs to be, even if you're in a building, it needs to be done on temporary status. That if it got yanked or pulled on by a higher source like the government, you can let it go. So, what you fix your eyes upon does form your drivenness, certainly your identity. The author in the Greek means founder, leader. In the Hebrew, it means the one who wrote the book. So, when you see the author and perfecter of our faith, you are actually reading that God and God alone is the one who is the book writer of your story, your life story, and he certainly is the author of the word. Which is what he uses to perfect us in our life. Perfecter is Greek, the one who completes or finishes. The I am is what it is from the Hebrew. And then faith is a pledge of proof, which is interesting. And Hebrew is, faith means actions of a mother. 
So, when you want to find out some original terminology that God used, he referred to the mother of life, Eve. Men are classically, because of sin, faithless. They don't stick out their marriages. I mean, it's only up till 1942 that women could even, I mean, the only men could do a divorce. So after 1942, women could divorce men. America was the first country in the world that legalized women divorcing men. But see, up to all those thousands of years, women couldn't even divorce a man. In some religions, women still can't divorce a man. The Muslims, the Mormons, a lot of those religions, they don't allow women to divorce men. It has to be a decision by the man. That's where this comes from. Men become faithless very quickly because of sin. And women become controlling, overly faithful. They will not give up at any price. So God's description of a true faithful person is watch a mother. She'll be there till the end. And faithless person is watch a man. He'll abort you, divorce you as quick as quick as you could turn your head if you don't satisfy his flesh. That's why young women are very concerned today about finding faithful men. You're not going to find very many faithful men. They're there, but there's not very many. Those are the times we live in. But you also could say the same thing about women today. It's difficult to find a faithful woman who actually lives out the Hebrew description of woman or faith. So yeah, that's evidence of us being in the end times. But that's how God views it when it comes to faith. Joy is, as Abby was talking about earlier, is a delight or a reflection of the light from Hebrew. So if you say, oh, i got to i got to be joyful today. I just, joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, joy, joy, joy. And you put your focus on the joy. It's like standing in front of a light bulb going, light bulb, light bulb, light, 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 light bulb, 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 light, light, light bulb. No. The light is shining on you. Now do the work. Just do the work. He lit up so that you can do the work. Faith without works is dead. And there's so many Christians that stand in front of light bulbs going, oh, hallelujah. Light, 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 light. And they dance and sing and, and we know whatever. Well, that should be a result of the work of God in your daily living. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work accomplished today. Your work. And you do tend to look toward light when you pray and when you worship. So this is a sermon all by itself. Joy, light, has nothing to do with us. We become the receivers of light for a reason to do the work. Not to glory in it all day long. Just to do the work. And give glory to the source of light. So whenever you see joy, you might as well go ahead and put the word light. In Hebrew, word for light is spirit. 
So when God created light, he was saying, and the Spirit searched all things. The Spirit searched the earth. The Spirit was put upon the earth. Light, Spirit, Holy Spirit, they're all the same to God. Okay, so endurance, stay under, behind, or wait. And then you have the cross, which is an instrument of punishment to seal from the Hebrew and covenant from the Hebrew. So, Despising is looking down upon. And let me bring conclusion to this verse. The last one is shame, which is a lack of grace. And when we put all of that together, rest your eyes upon the face of your husband, Jesus, who is the author of your life and the one who finishes the proof of your salvation. So you can stand before the great I Am without guilt your husband is the one who took delight in staying under the burden of the cross, looked down upon the lack of grace, and then returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of the God of the universe. And we complain, and we moan. When your eyes are casted upon a person, place, or thing, you activate two powers. God and Satan. Satan wants you to be controlled by the person, the place, or the thing. Because what that does is puts a shadow between, an eclipse between you and God. Person, all I think about is my children. Place, I hate where I'm living. Thing, I wish I had more of them. It's a shadow. Creates a shadow. So what you do, instead of living in the shadow of the wing of Christ, Jesus, we live in the shadow of the blockage, the encumbrance. That's how Satan does it. And he gets that up there so you are not able to receive the light to reflect the light. Or... You can fix your eyes upon Jesus, who is the author of all these people, places, and things, and not have any encumbrance blocking you, and you become a direct reflection of the glory of God. That should be the goal and objective of every single church in the world this morning. Okay, we need to quit, but I want to give you these definitions because we will be moving on to a, a different topic next week. So under consider, this is out of verse 3, which is our very uh, last verse of this particular passage, but consider means to estimate, endure means to stay under, like before. Hostility is a contradiction, a dispute, or rebellion. Or actually a refusing to host someone. Stay out of my house. That's what hostility is. Sinner is a, is a group or people who fall short of the set mark. Hebrew is people who destroy the name. 
It's like Babylon. A whole group of people tried to destroy the name of God. Against means to eliminate. Weary means to be tired, of course, sick or faint. And it's what comes from the no. You want to, if you meet a weary person, I can assure you, they are sick and tired of hearing the no. So when you meet a person who has said with their words or who says with their attitude, I'm sick of hearing no. This is a person who has fixed their eyes and ears upon people, places, and things. But when you meet a person who is encountering no all around them and they're still taking on the light and reflecting the light, that is the evidence they have fixed their eyes upon Jesus Christ. Circumstances don't control them. Seven. Loose is just to release. It's like losing the chains. Eight. Heart. Our final word is life in the mind. It does not mean what a lot of people have meant it to mean. They're like, my feelings, you you hurt my heart. Do you realize that feelings are never addressed in the Bible for transformation? Nowhere do you find a verse that says, for God shall renew your feelings. What does he say? I shall renew your mind. You see, everything comes from the mind, and Satan knows that. This comes from the mind. It's what's in my mind. Gold, silver, you know, people, place. It's, it's, that's what's in my mind. So you wonder why you're acting like shadow lands from day to day? Well, take a look at what's between you and the light source. So heart is life in the mind. Jesus Christ in Steve Finney's mind through his mind. That is it. Hebrew is a patriarch that controls the family. That's the definition of heart. The heart of the family. Heartland Family Fellowships. That's why the name was chosen. Heartland is the life source inside the mind of the believers. It's the core. And it happens in the mind, not in the emotions. Here's our conclusion. All of you who call yourself Christians, estimate how much your Savior, Jesus Christ, willingly stayed under the contradictions, the disputes, the rebellion, and the lack of hospitality of people who daily fell short of the mark of his Father. He did this in order for you not to become tired, sick, faint, as you walk the journey of life chosen for you by your patriarch, God the Father. Now, to set you up for next week, I believe the number one arena of attack by the enemy, and, and this is a Stephenism, but it's just like there are certain times that Paul was writing. He says, this is, this is Paul speaking, not the Lord. That's what I'm saying here. From my perspective in the shoes or moccasins that I walk in, 
I believe the number one attack is on patriarchs. Because that will cover divorces, it will cover families, it will cover uh, immoral issues, it'll cover, it goes on and on and on and on and on. If you destroy the heart, which is the Hebrew word for patriarch, if you destroy the patriarch, you destroy the heart of church. You destroy the heart of a family. You destroy the heart of a marriage. You destroy the heart of a community. I asked an interesting question to a a, a, a local um, political leader here in our community who the town patriarch was. What? Well, I want curiosity. I use biblical terminology to reestablish biblical terminology. So then I went on to explain it. And the guy said, well, that's very interesting. And I can see there'd be a lot of truth in that. And I said to this guy, it is the truth. And it's the only thing that'll save this community is to get the patriarch back. We've got to bring the elderly people back to a proper level of respect and inherit their wisdom. And this community will change. It's not the young people we have moving into our community we need to invest our money in. It's the old people, the patriarchs. They are the heart. Those are the ones God uses. There's a patriarch standing close by and a young, smart, godly young man. Very alert. God will choose a patriarch even though he's a little slow on the uptake. Well, I think we have you think about that one. And the young one's like, well, I know the answer. I've been here, done this before. I, I've, I've seen it happen. Well, you have. God will use the patriarch. It may take longer to get it out of him. But it's in there. And it's what God blesses. And that's where we're going next is to talk about the patriarchs. And guys, if we get this, we are releasing the power of order, of God. God's hunting for the patriarchs. Are there any left? You say, well, God used women judges. Because there weren't any patriarchs stepping up. God doesn't hate women. He knows how powerful they are. God has a power of order. God's a God of order. And he's hunting, searching the world for patriarchs. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is 
heartlandfellowships.org.